This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Matthew chapter 5. Raymond said to me down at the back the other night, <laughs> he says, we're praying for the big weekend that we'll get really good weather. He says, I'm not so sure we should pray that way. <laughs> Everybody will be going to Newcastle if that's the case. Airport rush. No, we should pray that, uh, not rain, but just not really, not too much sun. Eh? All right. Matthew chapter 5, and just the one verse, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Within all of us are passions, desires, drives, urges, instincts, And the two most primal of these is the desire to eat and drink. Not only do we find them pleasurable and comforting, and sometimes too pleasurable and too comforting, uh, but nevertheless, they are an absolute necessity. Without food and drink, we die. It's as simple as that. These are appetites that we just cannot live without. Losing your desire to eat and to drink is usually a sign that something is not well. It could be an illness uh, has taken away your appetite. It could be an underlying emotional or mental problem, perhaps stress and pressure of life. Uh, Maybe, I don't know, maybe just anxiety and worry or fear, whatever. All of those things and more can stop our appetite and stop us nourishing our bodies. Isn't it interesting that when it comes to righteousness, that Jesus put having a desire for it on that same level as our desire to eat and to drink. In other words, it ought to be our deepest desire, our highest hope, our utmost goal. The title of the message tonight is, What is Your Deepest Desire? What do you hunger after? Nothing should be more important to us than wanting righteousness, being righteous, living righteously. Now, I know the Scriptures tell us in Romans 3.10 that there is none righteous, no, not one. But in 2 Corinthians 5.21 The scriptures also tell us that we have become the righteousness of God in Christ. So positionally, we are indeed the righteousness of God in Christ. No question about that. But practically, it's something that we have to live out every single day of our Christian life. The apostle Paul, he alludes to this. 30 years after being saved, after serving and loving the Lord, after working with him 
for him every day in 30 years. Even after all of that, in Philippians 3, 12 and 14, in the New Living Translation, he says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I'm already reached perfection, but I keep working toward that day when I finally will be all that Christ Jesus has saved me for and wants me to be. So here is a man who, after 30 years... Even the great apostle Paul is still hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Then he says, no, dear friends, I'm still not all that I should be, but I am focusing all my energies on this one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us up to heaven. So Paul's deepest desire was hungering and thirsting after righteousness to receive all and to be all and to have all that Christ had saved him for. That's what his heart's desire was. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. Psalmist put it this way, Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. So what does hungering and thirsting mean here? Hungering and thirsting after righteousness. It simply means putting God first. Seeking God first. Putting his desires first. His will first. His purposes first. Seeking his way going his way, wanting his way. So hungering and thirsting here is a metaphor for desiring spiritual things. That's what it's a metaphor for, simply desiring spiritual things. Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of the Father. That's my food, he said. That's the most important thing, doing the will of the Father. In John 4, he says, there's a water that springs up into eternal life. In John 6, he says, there's a food that endures unto life everlasting. He says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the water of life. These are the essentials of life. Job 30, 23, 12 says, Job esteemed the word of God more than his necessary food. Have we got there yet? The only time you'll esteem the Word of God more than a necessary food is if you fast. That's when you esteem it more than your necessary food. Now you must understand that the whole concept of righteousness that Jesus thought about and taught about was entirely different than what the scribes and Pharisees thought and taught. Very different indeed. What they believed was external, what Jesus taught was internal. Their righteousness that they taught, that they believed, was simply works-based. But Christ's righteousness is grace-based. And there's a vast difference. Their goal in life, their whole goal, was to obey the letter of the law, but they completely ignored the spirit and the intent of the law. All they cared about was crossing the T's and dotting the I's of the law. But the spirit of it, the intent of it, they cared nothing for that. 
And so quite apart from having the, the, the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, uh, the law of Moses, quite apart from having those books of the Bible, they had something called the Mishnah. Uh, and the Mishnah really was a collection of, of oral traditions handed down through the generations. And the idea of the Mishnah was supposed to be to clarify the law of God, which is found in the law of Moses, to clarify and to complement it. But in the end, all it did was complicate it. In the end, it was man-made rules. And the man-made rules became so important to them that it became more important than the very word of God itself. That's why Jesus says, your traditions is made, made vain the word of God. That's what he was talking about. These oral laws, these things that was handed down through the generations that was supposed to clarify the law of God, but it just complicated it. More often than not, these oral laws became more important than the word of God itself. Jesus constantly broke these man-made rules. <laughs> he deliberately went out of his way to do it, and they were infuriated when he did it. You know, he healed people on the Sabbath day, and to them that was work. Do you remember the little woman that was bowed over for 18 years, and Jesus loosed her? You're loosed? That was on the Sabbath day. And the scribes and the Pharisees were angry that he would do such a thing. He says, well, you know, if one of your sheep fell in the ditch, would you not go and pick it out? How much more, this, this daughter of Abraham, how much more should I not do this? But they couldn't see that. That constituted work in their eyes. You remember at the pool of Siloam, how he spat on the ground and he made a little bit of mud and he put it in the man's eyes. He says, go wash. The man went and washed, came back saying, that was on the Sabbath day. And they were mad at him. Uh, remember the time he was in the temple and the, the man had a, a, a dodgy arm, you know, he had an arm, and he says, reach forth your hand, it was withered, and he reached it out and he healed it. It was on the Sabbath day. And they were mad at him. And they plotted to kill him. Because as far as, and there was many more examples, but as far as they were concerned, that was work. Not to be done on the Sabbath day. Well, in Jeremiah 17, this is what it says, verse 21 and 22. Thus saith the Lord, take heed to yourselves and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem, nor carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day, nor do any work. But hallow the Sabbath day as I commanded your fathers. Probably the most common work would be carrying something. Just lifting something. That would be work on the Sabbath day. But these laws that they had invented made such a simple action so ridiculously difficult. And so the definition of carrying was divided into eight different ordinances. And then the bearing of a burden, just lifting something was divided into two separate acts. You lift something up, you set something down. <laughs> but they complicated even that. So they says, well, is it in private ground or is it in public ground? <laughs> 
And when you lift it up, do you put it down in the same place or do you put it down in another place? I mean, it just got ridiculous. And it became endless and pointless over and over again. And what constituted private and what constitutes public? They had laws about that. So it just became ridiculous. It became a burden that people could not bear. And Jesus says, you're heaping these burdens upon people, thinking this is righteousness, and it's not. It's just man-made works, and it's killing you. There's no rest. There's no peace in it. No wonder, he said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It's not all of these man-made laws. Jesus never, ever broke God's law. He'd never be a lawbreaker. He fulfilled God's law. But his argument really wasn't with God's law. It was with all these other man-made laws that they had made to complement and to clarify God's law, which only complicated. Are you still with me? By the way, the moral law as found in the Ten Commandments, has never been rescinded. The Sabbath, their Sabbath, has now become our first day of the week. And so we need to be careful that we don't make a particular day into something that God never intended. I believe with all of my heart that we need to take a time, and I think the first day of the week is for us is the best time, like today, when we can corporately come together to worship the living God. I think that's good and it's right and we should do that, and I wish that the whole nation would do that. Amen. But that's different than the Old Testament Sabbath. The moral law Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, four were Godward, six were manward. Jesus summed the whole ten up in two. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. First great commandment. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. So all the moral law summed up in two things, love God and love humanity. So Jesus simplified things. That was the intent of the law. But they had lost the intent of the law completely. They got bogged down in all the minutiae of all of their rules and regulations, which was killing them and killing the people. So Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled the true righteousness. Paul in Romans chapter 4 talks about righteousness being imputed unto us. And he uses an accountancy term. Accredited to us. Like somebody putting money in your bank account that you didn't put in. But somebody put it in for you. Accredited to you. Reckoned unto you. And so Paul says righteousness is something that God reckoned unto us, accredited it to us. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. It's all by his grace, but he gave it to us. It's imputed to us. Aren't you glad for that? But it's also imparted to us as well as imputed to us. It's imparted to us. In other words, 
righteousness is in us internally. When you're born again of God's Spirit, you're clothed internally with the righteousness of God in Christ. We wear it on the inside, but it should be seen on the outside by our works and our lifestyle. The unbeliever should see a difference in us, in our words and in our deeds. That's the righteousness of God in Christ in us that shines through us as a witness and a testimony to others. Therefore, our deepest desire should be to be righteous, to walk in righteousness, to live righteously. That should be the desire of our heart. And I hope that that's what we do. Sometimes we fail in it. Sometimes we don't quite get it right. But that's our propensity. We want to know the Lord better. We want to know him more. We want to know him deeper. We're following after him. We haven't arrived yet, Paul said, but our game and our goal is to keep on going and to hunger and to thirst after righteousness. Righteousness is a wonderful thing as long as we understand it. it's not something that we can earn or deserve. It's only something that God can impart to us. And as long as we understand that, we're okay. See, this was the Pharisees' problems. They sought to hard to work so hard for it. That was their problem. They were meticulous about all their man-made rules and law. They thought the harder they worked and observed those man-made laws, the closer they would be to God, and in the end, the further they got away from God till it became a sham and a farce and it burdened the people till the people were weary and tired of it didn't require any faith. It didn't require any grace. It just required hard work. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10. If I could just find it quickly here. In verse 1, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And to this very day, that's what the Orthodox Jew does. He establishes his own righteousness and is proud of it <laughs> and loves it so. But it doesn't draw him close to God. He needs the righteousness of Christ, which is a free gift of God. <coughs> Whenever we were in, uh, in Jerusalem there in, in January, as the first time I saw this, that in the hotel, the lift had the button for the Sabbath day, so you didn't have to press the button. The lifts go up and down. They open every level, so you can get in and go out without pressing that button. Because that's work. If you press that button, that's work. And that's the ridiculousness and the pointlessness of that man-made law. That somehow or other, that would bring you closer to God. And it doesn't. It doesn't. And if you think about it, all religions have their own laws, haven't they? They all have their own man-made rules and regulations, thinking this will get me closer to my God, but it doesn't. It never could. 
Only Christ's righteousness impart it and impute it to us can do it. So hungering and thirsting is a recognition that there's more. Paul says, I haven't yet attained, but I'm pressing onward and after. Haven't got there yet. But I keep working toward that day when I finally will be all that Christ saved me for and wants me to be. Now, why would you work for something that you've already got? For the same reason Paul said. So that I can be everything Christ wants me to be. I haven't got there yet. I'm heading towards it, but I just haven't quite reached that yet. So we're a work in progress. We're on a journey, but we haven't reached our destination. We need more of His Spirit. We need more of His Word. We need more of His presence. We need more of His power. And the only way is to hunger and to thirst after righteousness. And if we do that, that's what we're acknowledging. God, I haven't arrived yet. I'm far from what I should be, but I'm hungering and I'm thirsting after this. It shows God we have intent we have determination. We have a deep down desire to discover him for ourselves. And so we keep at it. We keep following. We keep looking. We keep praying. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened. And the tense of that is continually asking, continually seeking, continually knocking. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, to him who knocks it will be opened. What man is there among you, if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? If he asks for fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil or sinful, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give the good things, give good things to those who ask him? So it's an asking, it's a seeking, it's a knocking, it's a continual everyday thing that we do. And we're further down the road than when we started. At least I think we are. But we know we're not there yet. We're not that stupid that we don't know we're not there yet. <laughs> and we're hungering and we're thirsting after righteousness. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness that opens our lives up to God's greater purposes. Those 10 days that those disciples spent in that upper room between Christ's ascension and Pentecost was well rewarded. They were there waiting upon the Lord. There was a purpose to be there. They weren't fully sure what that was other than you will receive power. But they waited and they waited and they waited. They didn't know it was going to be 10 days. They didn't know it was going to be Pentecost because Christ didn't tell them that. He just says, wait until the power comes. And they waited and waited and waited. And those 10 days was remarkable. And they were well rewarded. Nathaniel was well rewarded for his times he spent underneath the fig tree. What do you think he was doing there? He was hungering and thirsting after righteousness. He was seeking the Lord. He was wanting the Messiah to come. And it wasn't wasted time. Sure it wasn't. The Lord knew exactly where he was. The Lord came to him. The Apostle Paul in Galatians uh, chapter 1 in verse 15 he says, 
But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Note this. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. Ah, you see. He got saved in the road to Damascus. He had that encounter with Christ. But he knew there was more. And so he went into Arabia for three years and spent that time alone with the Lord. And then after that, he came out, went back into Damascus, then he went to Jerusalem. Those three years where he met with the Lord, what was he doing? He was hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And it was well rewarded, wasn't it? Isn't it interesting also that the disciples spent three years with Christ before actually they launched into their greater ministry? And Paul spent those three years with the Lord getting that wonderful revelation, two-thirds of the New Testament written by his hand. What a revelation. What a man. Old Alexander White, a great old preacher of old, he said about this, he said, Never did any other Lord receive his own again with such interest as when Paul went into Arabia with Moses and the prophets and the Psalms in his knapsack and returned to Damascus with the Romans and the Ephesians and the Colossians in his mouth and in his heart. <laughs> time spent with the Lord is not wasted time. It's good time. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness is a blessing. And it comes with the promise, doesn't it? They shall be filled. There's your promise. Psalm 107 and 9, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Proverbs 21, 21, whoever pursues righteousness and loves and love finds life and prosperity and honor. And Jesus said in Luke 6, blessed are you that hunger now for you shall be filled. So question tonight is, what is your deepest desire? It's good to have desires and dreams and aims and goals. It may be to raise a family. It may be to get married one day. It may be to get a beautiful home. It may be umpteen things. Nothing wrong with any of that. Fine, have all those desires and dreams. But what's your deepest one? Because that tells a tale of what we're really hungering and thirsting after. And if it's Christ and his glory in our lives, that's what pleases the heart of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what all these other things shall be added unto you. All those other things is fine. God does not begrudge them from us if we're seeking him first if we're putting his righteousness first, if that's what we're hungry and thirsting after, God will give us all those things, but he wants us to hunger for this first. And if we get that, let me tell you, that's much more important than anything else. It really is. 
Some of you have been saved for many, many, like myself, many, many, many years, and you're still searching, and you're still seeking, and you're still hungry, and you're still going after God. Wonderful. Praise God for that. Thank God. Sometimes we lose that hunger, but we get it back again. Sometimes we get off track, but we get it back again. Sometimes the world crowds us, and it blinds us, but we get on track again, and we say, Lord, I'm going into my room. I'm going to spend some time in the Word and in prayer and seeking your face. What am I doing? I'm hungering and thirsting after your righteousness. And God's promise is, you shall be filled. Hmm? Go into your closet, close the door, pray in secret. He'll reward you openly. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? You shall be filled. Lord, we thank you that you have put a hunger in each of our hearts You've given us a desire to love you, to serve you, to follow you, to know you. Lord, increase that hunger in us. Increase that thirsting in us. Help us, Lord, to seek you, that we may know you, that our lives will count for something in eternity. Lord, we thank you for this. Lord, even if there's just a tiny little thirsting, a tiny little hungering, Lord, increase that until, Lord, that's the main thing in our life is to know you and to love you and to serve you and to walk in your ways. Lord, bless every believer here tonight, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, we pray your blessing to be upon them. We pray, Lord, that they shall be filled as you promised, filled with your spirit, filled with your word, filled with your righteousness, filled with your wisdom, filled with your knowledge, everything you have for us, Lord, that we may be filled to overflowing, that we may touch the lives of others. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.